from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. Make sure to visit our ministry website for a wide variety of outstanding content, including articles, video, audio, and print resources. You can find it all at djkm.org. What is going to happen to you when you die? That's perhaps the most important question any of us could consider. We may live 80 or 90 or 100 years on this earth, and yet the time after each of us dies will be far, far longer than that. What will happen to you? Will you go to heaven when your life ends here? And how can you get there? The vast majority of the world has one answer to this question, And tragically, it's the wrong answer. And it's an answer that does not work. Find out the most common and deadly mistake that people make on how to get to heaven and discover what God tells us will actually get us there. There is literally nothing more crucial. Dr. Kennedy shares more in his message the faith of Abraham. Our scripture lesson this morning is taken both from the 15th chapter of the book of Genesis and the 4th chapter of Romans, where Paul explains the meaning of this passage. May we hear the word of God, chapter 15, verse 1 of Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou art able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And Romans chapter 4. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaineth to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. 
Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And may God speak to us today through his holy word, and may his name ever be praised. Amen. This morning I'd like to talk to you about the faith of Abraham and the difference it made and makes. This is a crucial chapter, this 15th chapter of Genesis, because as you may recall, the covenant of grace was first made with Abraham. And that covenant is the covenant in which today, even yet, we stand, upon which our hopes are based. And so we rejoice as we look back on the father of the faithful and the faith that he had that so changed the world. And so all of our salvation all traces back to this man, Abraham, who was, we're told, saved by faith. He was justified by faith. And so today we want to talk about the faith of Abraham and how some such similar faith can be ours. By way of just a quick running start, you may recall that in the 12th chapter, God had called Abram out of Ur of Chaldees, which was Babylonia, where he came from a family of moon-worshipping pagans, and he was himself one. And God chose this man and called him, saying, Get thee out! of thy country and thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And Abraham believed God, and he left his family, his home, his work, his city, his people, and he set off to follow the Lord. He was called out. He... Uh, had just in the previous chapter engaged in that great battle with where he went after the four kings that had kidnapped Lot and uh, looted the surrounding cities and uh, chased them for many miles, overtook them, defeated them, recovered all of the those that had been kidnapped and brought all of the goods and the loot back with him and then refused to accept anything for his efforts. And he was indeed a man of great courage. And now, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in this chapter, saying, Fear not, for I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, why did he tell Abraham not to fear? Well, being mortals who are facing death, living in a world which is often hostile to us, we have many things about which we could fear. And certainly Abraham had some. He had four kings that were madder than hornets at him because of his surprise attack. Maybe there would be an effort at retribution against him. God says, I am thy shield. What a shield is he, and what a shield is he for us 
who face perhaps not kings and angry armies, but certainly many dangers and problems in this world. And I would urge you to get that text and to hide it into your heart. I am thy shield. What comfort is in those words. And thy exceeding great reward. Abraham, lest any could say that he had been enriched by the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, refused to take anything. You know what a wonderful thing it is when a person comes to the place of realizing that all that they ever going to have comes from God. All that you have received comes from him. It is he that giveth thee power to gain wealth. Art thou wealthy? It is God that gave it to thee. Are you concerned about the future? God has promised to provide all of our needs out of his riches in glory. I am thy exceeding great reward. What a glorious text that is. But Abram, and you notice his name was not yet Abraham, God had not yet given to him one of the syllables out of his own name, Jehovah, indicating his ingrafting into the body of God. But now he is simply Abram, and he says, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? The Hebrew is perhaps better translated, how wilt thou give me this exceeding great reward, seeing I go childless? And he was greatly grieved that he had no child. And, and this steward from Damascus, Eliezer, is going to be my heir. And God takes him outside and shows him the night sky with all of the myriads and multitudes of stars scintillating in the blackness and says to him, Look up at the heavens. Art thou able to number the stars? So shall thy seed be. And Abraham believed the Lord. This is the first time the word believe is found in the Bible. Never before that. No mention of faith, belief, believed, or any of the cognates. For the first time, we read this. And this is why this passage is so crucial. Because it begins to make us realize, introduce to, to us the most revolutionary, incredible thing that the world has ever known, that salvation is by faith. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, what does that mean? It means that Abraham believed God's promise. That basically is what faith is. It is the assurance and confidence of believing the promise that somebody has given to you. The Bible says if we believe the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And we all believe the witness of men. We call up and ask, what time does the plane arrive? And we go down to the airport then. We call up to find out what time the bus leaves, and we go down to the bus depot then. And in a thousand, ten thousand other ways, we constantly accept the witness of men. If we do that, God says, the witness of God, who is truth itself, who cannot conceivably lie, is far greater. And this is his witness, his record, that he has given to us life in his Son, and he that has the Son has life. Salvation is by faith. It is by believing God. It is by trusting in Jesus Christ and then believing his promise about those who trust in Jesus Christ. And Christ said, he that trusteth in me already has eternal life. What shall we say that Abraham, our father as pertaining to the flesh, has found, says Paul in Romans 4, 1? 
What is it that Abraham discovered? Well, he says, if he were justified by works, then he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. No one is going to glory before God. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, we know in the New Testament times that that righteousness was wrought by Jesus Christ in two ways. By his active obedience, whereby for 33 and a half years he lived a perfect life and could say as the only one who ever could say, I do always those things which please my Father. And by his passive obedience, whereby on the cross, having taken unto himself all of our sin and guilt, he endured the pain and punishment for sin that we rightly deserve. And so by his active and passive obedience, he hath wrought this white robe of righteousness and faith reaches out an unworthy hand and accepts that robe and we put it on and we stand faultless before God, clothed in his righteousness. And then we come to this most incredible text, verse 5 of Romans 4. Listen to the text. But to him that worketh not... But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Do you know what most people believe? They believe that God justifies, accepts, pardons, forgives, receives the godly, the pious, the moral, the good the kind. And God says the very opposite to him that worketh not. But most people believe that you have to work indefatigably for many years if ever you are going to achieve this justification, this acceptance with God. And that you have to become pious and godly to do so. But Paul says to him that worketh not. What must you do? Nothing. It has already been done. Right there. It is not do, my friends. It is done. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To him that worketh not... But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And he is clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus illustrated this so unforgettably in that magnificent parable of his, which began that two men, went up into the temple to pray. A very simple thing. Millions of people had gone up into the temple to pray over the centuries. But Jesus took these two men and he used that to bring clearly to light the great truth that will separate eternally human souls. One was a Pharisee. Now Pharisees have gotten a pretty bad rap in our day. But in their day... It was not like our time, where today the term is used almost always pejoratively, in a negative sense. 
But a Pharisee was sort of a combination of a senator and a clergyman. They governed both the church and the state. They were highly respectable, to say the very least. They enjoyed the highest repute and reputation. And so a Pharisee came right down to the front of the temple, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other men. Immediately, his humility sprang to the fore. I am not like other men. Jesus said he pray thus with himself. God is not interested in such so-called prayers. I thank thee that I'm not like other men. You see, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, I wonder how many here could even stay up with him thus far. And I am not an adulterer, a fornicator, a murderer, a thief, and... Oh, what is he doing in here? A publican. Publican in the temple. The lowest of the low. Those turncoat Jews who have the effrontery and gall to collect taxes from their own neighbors and give them to the Roman overlords the most despicable people imaginable. And I thank thee, Lord, that I especially am not like that publican. Publican. And the publican, said Jesus, would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast, and he said, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. And then Jesus uttered those words which are like an axe splitting a rock. I tell you, that publican went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. All of the world's religious systems come crashing down into the dust with that. That seems to subvert every ethical, moral, religious system that man has ever invented, and it actually does. But it brings to light the most potent the most powerful, the most life-transforming system that the world has ever seen, the gospel of grace, that we are accepted by God not because of anything that we have done, but entirely because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We are accepted not because of what we have done, but in spite of what we have done, by the pure, unmerited grace of God. Unto him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Are you righteous in the sight of God? Which of those two men do you 
resemble. Every one of us is indeed symbolized in one or the other. Have you come to see that there is nothing in you whatsoever that could commend you to God or make you acceptable to him? You see, both of those men were sinners. Only one knew that he was a sinner. One humbly confessed his sin, and the other proudly boasted about his supposed goodness, which goodness existed only in his eyes, because even the best works of men are tainted with sins of selfishness and pride. So there is nothing about us that could make us acceptable. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. To believe the promise of God, and in our time, here is the promise of Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never perish. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If so, go down to your house justified, pardoned, forgiven, accepted by God for Christ's sake. Amen. Father, I pray if there are any here that still wear the robes of the Pharisee, that still entertain the delusion that there is something in them that can make them acceptable in the eyes of an all-holy God, that you will open their eyes that they may see the slime that adheres to their souls. And they may confess also, God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me, the sinner. In Christ's name, amen. Did you pray with Dr. Kennedy just now? asking God to be merciful to you, a sinner? If you did, the scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The reason that Jesus had to be raised from the dead is because he died to pay the penalty for our sins, a penalty we could never pay for. And he rose from the dead to purchase a place for us in heaven, which he offers as a free gift. So if you prayed that prayer, We'd love to help you get started in your new walk with Christ by sending you Beginning Again, which is exactly what you're doing. As you read this book, you'll learn how to study the Bible, how to pray, and you'll even find some answers to the questions you may have. To receive your copy of Beginning Again, write to our address or call our toll-free number 
and may God richly bless you. The central message of the Bible recaptured for us in the Protestant Reformation is that only a living faith in Jesus Christ can save us. Jesus is the one who satisfied God's justice for our sins. And Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life in our place. Any attempts to earn heaven on our own, as Dr. Kennedy shared, will fall drastically and tragically short. Faith in Christ gives us freedom. And America's founders valued that freedom above all else. It was because of their biblical foundations that they designed a country where we had liberty, starting first and foremost with religious liberty. Sadly, however, in a secularized age, that freedom is being lost. An ever-growing government now acts as God, at least for many people, and it is a demanding master. Because human beings are sinful, the founders were wary of giving any of them too much power. But today, we have a government in which key institutions, like the Justice Department, the FBI, and the IRS, are running amok, being used as tools to grind ideological axes against political enemies. How can we regain our freedom? Well, veteran Washington journalist Robert Knight tells us in a new book, A Nation Worth Fighting For, 10 Steps to Restore Freedom. And we'd like to send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. This brand new book, which we've just published, shows how the left has worked to subvert the pillars of our culture, including marriage, family, and religious freedom. And it lays out a battle plan to get every Christian off the sidelines and into action to save our nation and our freedom. We'll send you a nation worth fighting for as our thanks for your generous donation. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or you can call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or you can go online to djkm.org. And if you are able to give a generous donation of $40 or more, we will send you the book plus our new Justice and Integrity Special Report DVD. This DVD features interviews on the crisis in our government as a result of the abuse of power of the deep state and includes such notables as former Senator Jim DeMint, among others. We will send you Robert Knight's new book, A Nation Worth Fighting For, 10 Steps to Restore Freedom, as well as the DVD, Justice and Integrity Special Report, as our thanks for your generous donation of $40 or more. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 
332-3069 or go online to djkm.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.